This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi, and welcome or welcome back to self-work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been in practice for 30 years. I can't quite believe that. But now almost five years ago, I decided to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be interested in psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you're in therapy. To those of you who've just been diagnosed with something and you're looking for answers. But even to those of you who might say to your friends, I'd never walk in the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough or unhappy enough to listen in. Welcome to all of you. Do you or someone you know apologize all the time? This can stem from several dynamics. Maybe you're in an abusive relationship currently, or there was trauma in your childhood, and you've grown up believing that the fault when relationships or events go sour is somehow all yours. There's also the presence of anxiety, or more specifically OCD, There's something called the spotlight effect that can also cause it, so we'll talk about these sources and more. Over-apologizing can seep into conversations not only with friends, but at work. So we'll focus on how to catch yourself from that unnecessary, I'm sorry, and change what you're about to say into something that may notice when things aren't quite right, but you don't automatically take a one-down position. The listener voicemails for today share two distinct ways of thinking about aging. I wrote a post called Turning 58 Years Ago, and that'll be in your show notes. And both of these actually readers, but they're also listeners, I think, both of them had strong reactions. The fact that they were sent to me in a short period of time, both of them, was ironic. And it would be easy as you listen to label one good and the other bad. But I'd like us to listen instead with compassion and see what could help both. So welcome to this episode of Self-Work, sponsored by BetterHelp. And let's talk about over-apologizing, and as always, what you can do about it. I met my best friend over 30 years ago when we were both working at Southwest Family Institute in Dallas. She was a couple of years ahead of me, had gotten her PhD in school psych, but she actually is seven or eight years younger than me. She was an employee, and I was a lowly intern still in school. But personally, we instantly hit it off. What we laugh now about, or especially she laughs about, is how almost every other word out of my mouth was, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to bother you, I'm sorry to ask you this, but I'm sorry I didn't have the time to do what you asked me to do. I'd been pretty well beaten up by my latest marriage failing, Both my own voices of shame were loud, and he had done his part to make them louder. And frankly, I dived lower than I ever had been in my own self-esteem. In fact, to say I was dragging around on the bottom of the pool wouldn't be an exaggeration. I had been out of that marriage about a year and actually had met my now husband, but my sense of worth was in shambles. I don't think I was an over-apologizer before then, but boy, had I developed that habit and perfected it. Since that time, I've had many patients who say they're sorry far too much. They'll explain to me various reasons why. One person said she'd had a horrible temper as a child and had been scorned for that temper. Again, we're hearing things from her perspective. I kind of wondered, as I heard her version, if I would have thought basically she was a child with a voice, but her family didn't want her to have that voice. But 
Her memory was that she got mad a lot. So her answer to that was now to constantly apologize. If she canceled a session, she'd apologize. If I canceled a session, she'd apologize. She struggled to not make everything somehow her fault. And actually, I liked her very much. I like my patients. She was a very thoughtful, kind person who had a lot on her parenting plate. And other people have given me other reasons. So let's spend a few minutes going over why you might be someone who apologizes when it's not called for. I must say that I was surprised when I first became a therapist by all the people who'd never apologize, and in fact had strong beliefs that an apology was equitable with taking all of the fault or responsibility, or taking a one-down or weaker position. That's certainly not my perspective at all. I thought a therapist named Devrupa Rakshit said it well. But why do we apologize at all? Because human behavior is interdependent. People apologize when they have breached someone's trust or wronged them in any manner, with the objective of restoring their relationship. When one breaks a rule of social conduct, a subsequent apology reestablishes the rule by acknowledging that it was broken and rebuilds trust in the individual wronged that the apologizer won't repeat their mistake again. Moreover, by validating the feelings of the person when wronged, an apology also shows care. I couldn't agree more. An apology is given to reestablish trust, not to take a one-down position. Now, it might feel that way if you're in a relationship that's sort of abusive, where the apology will be ridiculed or turned into a joke in a very cruel way. Oh, Margaret says she's sorry, you know, that kind of thing. But in a healthy relationship, apologies are given and accepted on both sides. But what about that old, I'll forgive you, but I can't forget? Well, let's hear a great offer from BetterHelp, and then we'll talk about forgiving and forgetting. I'm always honored when one of you reaches out to me to ask, hey, could I see you? Unfortunately, right now, I can only see people in Arkansas, but I do have a suggestion for you. I've personally found that BetterHelp, the leading online therapeutic counseling service, is really a great option, and I've partnered with them here at SelfWork to provide you with a professional, very affordable, and trustworthy source of help, no matter where you live. In fact, BetterHelp has been a sponsor of SelfWork for more than a year, and I can't tell you how much it's meant to have their help and support here on the program. But of course, before any kind of relationship happened, I tried BetterHelp myself. They use only licensed therapists, meaning licensed professional counselors, social workers, marriage and family therapists, probably even some psychologists, and they match you up with someone likely in the same state as you if you're here in the United States. But I want to talk about what really stood out for me. I saw two different counselors, or (laughs) I didn't see them, but I worked with them. For one thing, it was very convenient, and they both tried their best to meet my schedule. The second thing was, you know, those of you on the podcast often write reviews or send me emails that say, hey, I really like that you make direct suggestions on what to try, real tangible recommendations. And the two counselors I tried did that as well. It's not that empathy and a listening ear isn't valuable. Sometimes we all can benefit from working through emotions in a safe relationship. However, I believe you get hope when you see yourself handling emotions that previously you couldn't Or maybe you speak up in meetings where before you didn't care enough to, or maybe your confidence was shot. You want to be able to see real change in yourself. Both of them actually offered worksheets for me to use to get a little deeper into things outside of the session. So I walked away with ideas. You know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic, and everyone's lives have been challenged to a lesser or greater extent for a year or more. So that's the backdrop we all have to deal with. 
and BetterHelp wants to be there for you. But also, because you listen to self-work, you do have a really good offer for them. You'll receive a 10% discount on your first month of service if you use this code, trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. And you'll find a counselor uniquely chosen for your preferences and needs. And then, of course, write me and let me know how it goes. If your first counselor isn't a great fit for you, they'll find somebody else, just like in non-online therapy. And after all, so many counselors are only working online these days, and BetterHelp isn't expensive. So try BetterHelp, because reaching out can be so vital to your mental health. I fully realize that it may take time to trust when that trust has been broken. And I think that most of the time when someone says, sure, I forgive you, but I'm not going to forget, most of the time people mean, I'm in the relationship, but my guard is up. That's okay by me. I think the important realization is that if your guard stays up, especially if the one who said they were sorry meant it sincerely and is doing their best to get your trust back, then not forgetting can lead to bitterness and actually sabotage whatever could be in the relationship. If everything is a proving ground, then that kind of stress can prevent trust from forming again. I want to say that again. If everything is a proving ground, then that kind of stress can prevent trust from forming again. I see this all the time in couples where one or both have had an affair, and the person who had the affair is really trying very hard to regain trust, and the other person just, even for years, says, I just don't know if I can do. Well, guess what? You get tired of trying to prove that you're trustworthy. So let's now talk about a few situations that might lead someone to over-apologize. First and foremost, actual abuse, because saying you're sorry can be very protective. If you take the blame, then perhaps the person will calm down or not be as abusive. It really doesn't work some of the times. Again, they can sort of mock you for your apology. But being abused is frightening, and you'll do anything to try to avoid the conflict. Number two, low self-esteem. Basically, these people think, I must be burdening you. But let's think about that. Usually, that's a projection onto others. It's what you believe about yourself, so you tell yourself that others must think that. And so when I hear something like this from a patient of mine, I'll ask that patient, so if Jane were sitting here and I asked her if you needed to apologize, what do you think she would say? And basically, this person would look down at the floor and then back up at me and admit, Jane's always asking me to quit apologizing and instead tell her what I want so we both can give and receive in the relationship. You saying what you want is not a burden to someone else. And apologizing for you being a burden can even make them feel like, how long do I have to keep on asking him to just be himself with me? Number three is fear of abandonment. This is fear of rejection, probably begun in childhood. And so your job becomes being the person who accommodates you, please, right? You're a people pleaser. The problem with that Constant apologizing actually lowers your own self-confidence. You can literally forget how to believe in yourself. A recent Forbes article said, When you use your words in this way, you undermine yourself and your opinions, which can lead to excessive self-guilt. 
With each apology, you're giving away a little bit of your confidence, and this can seriously affect the way you see yourself. So if you accommodate, if you're a people pleaser and you say you're sorry, if you somehow sense that the other person is disappointed or that they may abandon you, then you give away a little bit of yourself every time you say, I'm sorry. Number four, this was something I'd never heard about. It's called the spotlight effect. It's when we actually believe that others notice us much more than they really do. I'll often have people who have this shyness or sense of self-consciousness. They'll say, oh, I can't go in the grocery store because everybody will look at me, and I'll challenge them to say, just go to the smallest grocery store you can so you'll be comfortable and try to get people to look at you. People are self-conscious. People don't do that. And actually, research shows that most of the time, people don't notice particulars about you that you think they do, and you will overestimate what they're going to notice. So when you are self-conscious or you have this spotlight effect that you literally think everyone's going to notice everything about you, guess what? They don't. (laughs) Number five, anxiety and especially OCD can lead you to apologize too much because you believe it can undo harm that you may have caused. People with anxiety can view themselves as overly assertive or even aggressive when they state their opinions, when they really were not. Remember, anxiety can cause you to misread others' reactions because you're hypervigilant about conflict and you need so badly to avoid it. So, you say, I'm sorry, a lot. This last one is something that is more negative or more unhealthy. I mean, all of this is unhealthy, But most of the time, people will know, oh, yes, I say I'm sorry too much because I'm anxious or I'm self-conscious or I fear conflict or whatever it is. You can kind of say, okay, I I know why I do it. These people may not be able to really tell. These are passive-aggressive folks. So basically, they say, oh, I'm sorry. It's said in the context of knowing something you said or did likely hurt someone else, or maybe you even intended to hurt them or that someone might have negative feelings about it. So you say, I'm sorry, but it's far from insincere. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't think you'd even want to come to lunch. I know you've been trying to lose weight. Whew, kind of sent shivers up and down my spine. (laughs) And actually, that's plain old emotional manipulation. You take a one-down, innocent stance, while all the while you had another agenda. This can also be a sign of a personality disorder. And it's very different, as I said before, than the causes of the others. All right. So that's some of the whys. Let's get down to what you can do about it. The first step is always awareness. You have to tune in. Listen to what you're about to say and try to stop the, I'm sorry, before it pops out. This takes practice. Here are some common I'm sorry's that we all say and hear. Oh, sorry, I couldn't get back to you sooner. Sorry to bother you. Oh, sorry, I can't make this meeting. Sorry, I I haven't thought this through. Sorry if this doesn't make sense. You said any of those? I know I have. Again, I'm going to turn to that Forbes article because it's so well put, and I'm not going to apologize for using their words. Here we go. Psychotherapist Beverly Ingalls says in her book, The Power of an Apology, 
Over-apologizing isn't so different from over-complimenting. You may think you're displaying yourself as a nice and caring person, but you're actually sending the message that you lack confidence and are ineffectual. So, next time you're sharing thoughts or opinions at work, for example, or even with your close friends, pay close attention to the language you use. You can shift your attitude and the way your ideas are perceived by others by simply adjusting the words you use. Instead of those apologetic statements that we talked about before, say you're running late and you don't walk in and go, oh, sorry, I hate being late. You just say, thank you so much for your patience. Instead of saying, sorry, I don't mean to bother you, say, do you have a moment? If you can't attend a meeting, you don't apologize. You have another priority. Say, I can't come to this meeting, but I'd really like to hear a summary of what happened. Instead of, oh, sorry, I haven't thought this through, say, these are my initial thoughts, or this is a first draft. I'm really going to look forward to what you have to say. And if you don't agree with somebody, you don't say, sorry, I may not understand what you mean, but instead say something like, well, I have a different take that I'd like to share. Hopefully you can hear the huge difference, and especially the way I inflected so much with my acting. (laughs) But by changing your words, you demonstrate to others that you own your thoughts, perspectives, and opinions. Using language in this way will help you share your thoughts with confidence, because your perspective is unique and special. And then after awareness comes practice and more practice and more practice. You know, in fact, you can ask your friends to help you catch yourself. I had a friend one time who she always reached out and touched my shoulder when she was talking to me. And she said, I I realize I do that with everybody. Would you point it out to me when I'm doing it to you? And so I said, okay, because I didn't particularly like it either. And every time I'd say, there it is, you know. So you can get your friends to help you. So what are the benefits of not over-apologizing but only apologizing when you truly feel remorse. And you should. It's called being on your side, being your own best friend, not being avoidant of conflict, while you also take baby steps to say what's important to you and let others and yourself get to know you. And what this does is you build your own sense of self-competence and self-confidence. Let's listen to two very different responses to a post I wrote a long time ago (laughs) about turning 58. Hello, Dr. Margaret. My name is Jacqueline. And um, the question that I asked myself today was, can I be great at 58? And after taking some time to reflect, I decided yes. I am great at 58. I'm at a place in my life where I feel totally liberated. I went through years of hiding my gray hair. Now I actually embrace my platinum white hairs that are coming through and coming through quite strong and vibrantly. And really, it's about choice. It's We have the choice to put things in place to make our lives easier, to find the support to embrace each day with gratitude or we choose to do the opposite interesting article i just turned 58 i never thought i could feel so old at 58 
everything I do, I feel my bones. Everything that I never knew was there before. What can you do? You just got to every day start over and ignore all the aches and pains. It was ironic that I got both of these messages in the same week. My post was actually meant to be somewhat humorous, where I talked about my reactions to life at almost 60. Let me read you a little excerpt from it. Perhaps the most humorous commercial for someone almost 60 is for Cialis. Of course, it's supposed to appeal to men who have erectile dysfunction, and I'm sure it is effective for them. But have you ever noticed the women in the commercials? They're always smiling, looking ever ready, just waiting for that moment when their man is going to sweep them off their feet or give them that knowing look of, hey, baby, it's time. Well, at 58, I assure you, it takes more than a wink and a bathtub. So, actually, years ago, I got another complaint about this post because I think she expected something serious from a psychologist. Well, I also like to laugh, and I perceive that laughter actually gets to be more and more important as I age. But let's talk about these two reactions. I think it's fairly easy to hear the one woman who has lots of hurts and pain and say, well, she just needs a better attitude, and then maybe celebrate the woman who seems to be rolling with the punches and has a happier outlook. But here's my comment. I wonder if the woman in pain may have counted on her body or physical functioning really strongly in her early life. And so losing that ability, becoming ever more aware of what she can't do anymore or what she's having to force her body to do when in pain, warrants compassion. I can feel my bones, she says. Can't you hear her fear talking? You've just got to ignore all the aches and pains. And the way she says it, it's obvious she's grieving. What else is going to happen to me? What else is going to hurt? What else do I have to grieve? And I get that. It's hard to laugh when you hurt. That doesn't mean that I don't applaud the other woman's reaction, that she seems to understand that attitude is half the battle, and focusing on what is instead of what isn't is a damn good idea. And studies have actually shown that pain tolerance increases with a more positive attitude. But the fact that one woman understands that and another is more frightened, or it's just plain harder for her to stay positive, doesn't make one reaction good and the other bad. It means that these two women are living in different places. I will say there are some days, now at 66, that I can claim so much gratitude. Yet there are others that are scary because of the heightened ambiguity of what lies ahead. Both of those days feel very real. And I hope others who love me will support me if I'm having one of those down days and then celebrate with me when my courage is flowing well. And of course, I do believe in laughing. To me, that's a way of both coming to grips with reality while also doing my best to hang on to a positive perspective. And as my oldest grandmother used to say, the most important thing to do after you turn 90, she lived to be 104, is to go into the bathroom first thing in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror and say, good morning, whoever you are, and giggle a bit. I want to be like her. Thank you all so much for being here at Self Work. I have a hidden agenda. It's not actually so hidden because I think I've talked about it. <laughs> that I would love to reach a thousand reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts by my fifth anniversary, which is mid-October. So here was the last one. A listener from Iowa 
So happy to have found the Self-Work Podcast. Dr. Rutherford keeps it real, relevant, and rewarding. No matter where you are on your own mental wellness journey, from struggling with past trauma, current issues, or just want to learn how to love yourself and others to your fullest capacity, Self-Work is there for you with insight and strategies to help you move forward. That's from Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. I so appreciate that. So please leave a rating or review wherever you listen, or you can subscribe there, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen. And of course, to those of you who have left ratings about Perfectly Hidden Depression, my book on perfectionism, destructive perfectionism, and having a rigid sense of control over your emotions being necessary, that book keeps on keeping on. I've now sold over 11,000 copies of the book. It's being translated into eight other languages. Czechoslovakian and Vietnamese are the latest. So I really hope that if the book could be helpful to you, that you'll get a copy and that you'll leave me a rating, especially those written reviews. Those are incredibly helpful. There's lots of ways of reaching out to me. My email is asksdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. My own website is drmargaretrutherford.com. Very creative. (laughs) And if you subscribe there, you receive one weekly newsletter that will bring you my weekly blog post as well as my weekly podcast and any other special news that I might have to offer you. I want to tell you once again about a series. It's a two-hour series of, I think, about 10-minute segments. It's on Himalaya.com slash depression, and it's me talking about depression, all kinds, all sources, And if you use Himalaya.com slash depression, then actually you'll get about a week or two of a free trial. And you can listen to anybody at Himalaya. So I hope you enjoy that. Also have a closed Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And I'm there regularly. Sometimes I do some Facebook lives there. But it's a really special group. Very giving and very supportive. Thank you all again for being here on self-work. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.